that song had 19 verses in it. So you can be thankful we didn't do all 19. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, um, Steve, you can go ahead and come on up if you're ready. A lot of things going on. Welcome to everyone who's here this morning worshiping with us. I want to extend a special welcome to those who are worshiping with us online. And if you're here for the very first time, uh, the bulletin has a little extra flap in it or on it. And if you have a chance and you want to fill that out and put it in the offering box, which is on the welcome table as you leave the sanctuary, that'd be great. We'd appreciate it. Just having a record of your uh, attendance with us. And if uh, you leave information, we'll contact you. If you don't, we won't. So that's good. And for those of our church family, it's also an opportunity. That little card is also an opportunity for you to let us know if there's prayer requests or things that you would like to have uh, us make note of. Uh, I have a lot of things I need to call to your attention this morning. Normally, I don't like uh, a long announcement time, but just too many things going on that uh, can't be avoided this morning. So first of all, I want to remind our church family that this is Mission Sunday. So we're taking up a special offering for our supported missionaries, and they're listed in the bulletin. So if you forgot that, that's fine. Just you can do it online, or you can uh, bring your check uh, sometime during the week, and we'll make sure we get it in and just designate on there for the mission offering. If you would, that'd be great. Also, also would like to take just a moment. I know it's not uh, Veterans Day, but if you uh, served in our armed forces, uh, reserve or active duty, would you just stand? Come on, don't be shy. Okay, uh, let's just recognize these guys. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for your service. Very much appreciated. I uh, wanted to make you aware of Operation Christmas Child, the boxes. This is the last day to collect the boxes. So if you have them, you can still bring them in yet uh, today sometime. Uh, the church will be locked after the services, but uh, I'll be here about 4.30. So if you want to come in about 4.30, you can do that and drop them off uh, for a little bit of time. And I don't know when they're going to collect them. So maybe you might have a little fudge time. Uh, uh, Sonia will be in on Tuesday, but I don't know. So just try to get them in, okay? Uh, that's, that'd be good. I have a, we have one member that we want to recognize, A.J. Mason, who uh, A.J. has uh, been, gone through our membership class, and so we just want to welcome him into membership. Thanks, A.J. Good to, good to have you with us. Good to have you on the team. Uh, it's great, great to have you. The two more things. First of all, we want to welcome back our mission team. We just had 10 folks, uh, well, we only got nine of them back so far, right? But we have uh, 10 that went to Haiti, and they've come back. And uh, they're, uh, some of them are among us, and some of them are not. So we're going to clap for them? Yes, we're glad they're back. All right, why not? Why not? We'll be, hearing, we'll be hearing more from them, but here's the challenge I have for us as a congregation and for them. Okay, so they went through this whole massively enriching experience. And so they're like a fire hydrant. With, that's just ready to spew out all of this stuff that God did in their life. So my challenge to each of the team members and is that if you would be ready to answer these two questions, and these are the two questions that I would ask us to consider uh, you know, asking them, is first of all, could you just share, me, share with me one blessing, one way that you are really blessed by your experience there? And then number two, can you share with me one way that you saw God working? Now, they've probably got a dozen, but just 
ask them, because you're going to see them and you're going to come up to them. Do not ask them, oh, hey, how was your trip? Unless you have like two hours uh, to, to spend with them. Or because you put them in the awkward position of knowing that you really don't want to spend two hours, but so they feel like they got to say, well, it was good. And it's just not very enriching for anybody. So that'd just be my encouragement, my challenge. And then for the team members, my encouragement is find somebody, maybe it's your spouse, somebody else, that you can just sit down for two hours with and you can just have them say to you, okay, talk. And, uh, and then they can just spill it all because that's the way God works. We're so grateful. We're looking forward to hearing more from them. And then the last thing that I have is uh, you guys. So I want you guys to come up here uh, and bring your family. Uh, the Packer family is this is a, a farewell, kind of a b- belated farewell to the Packer family uh, who have relocated to Harlan, Iowa. They were members here at Creekside for some time, actually, even before I got here. Uh, they were our neighbors in our neighborhood, and Alec Packer was one of the first persons in the congregation that wasn't on the elder team or the search team that, that I actually met. So uh, after I had accepted the, the call to come to Creekside, Alec was in Storm Lake, and he called me up and he said, can we, uh, can we do lunch? Uh, and uh, so we went out and did lunch. That's just uh, the heart of the Packers is a ministry, and they will be sorely missed, but uh, still moving to another part of the vineyard to do God's work. So... Um, I am just going to pray for these dear friends of ours. Father, uh, it is with a very deep sorrow that uh, we say goodbye uh, to the Packers, but with joy as well, Father. And we know that you have great things in store for them and their family and the ministry that you have for them in Harlan. And we commit them into your hands and pray for your rich blessings. May the, the, the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with and abide with them uh, now and forever, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, they will be here around afterwards, so please greet and meet them if you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to them. Nice lid, buddy. That's a nice lid. I like that. That's great. That's great. All right. Thank you. I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer as we prepare to study the Word of God. Father, I need to kind of slow down because uh, so much uh, blessing that you've provided for us and uh, so much mixed emotions with joy and sorrow and um, I'm just thankful that we can come to you, our God, and that we can share in these experiences because of our common bond in Christ. And I ask that you would now uh, encourage our hearts through our study of your word, that you would work in and through us, leading those who do not know you personally into saving faith and those who do into a richer and fuller understanding of it. And I ask that you would help us to see this as the word of God and not as the word of men. And may you transform our hearts and our lives because of it. We commit this time to you and praying for you to open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
I may have shared the fact that uh, several years ago I received a letter from one of my family members, a member of my family who had uh, been exposed to the, uh, a group of Jehovah's Witnesses, and they had some theological questions that they posed to me in a long letter. There was a list of about 20, I don't know, 23, 4, 5, 6, 7, I don't know, there was a long list of questions. And they were theological questions, but they weren't that difficult questions, typical questions that you might uh, hear. Something like, well, what, what happens after you die? How is a person saved? How do you explain the presence of evil in, in, in the world? And what's the, what's the, the purpose of life? I mean, those kinds of questions, but there are 27 of them. This person had gone to their, the pastor of their Christian church with this list of questions, and the pastor of the Christian church said to this family member of mine, these are mysteries too deep to be understood. So I was like, second rate, can you help me with these questions? And I spent hours and sent this tome of literature, you know, that I had written out. And that's, unfortunately, this family member abandoned the, the Christian faith. And as far as I know, is still uh, a Jehovah's Witness. Um, sadly to me. But it's a, it's a case in point that there, there, were, there were these things about mysteries too deep to be understood that wouldn't be explained. As Paul uh, talked, as we looked at Paul's work last week, Paul's introduction to this radical mystery teaching in chapter 2 about the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone for Jew and Gentile, that mystery that he mentions in chapter 2, now in chapter 3, he expounds on it. He explains it more fully. And he gives us a deeper understanding of it. And so as you, you turn in your Bibles, or if you need one, there's one in the seat underneath the seat in front of you. Should be somewhere near there. Or some of you have them on your phone or whatever. Or you can just listen. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 3. We're in the study of Ephesians, and we're in Ephesians 3. And these 13 verses, verses 1 through 13... They, they reveal three benefits for believers from Paul's revelation of God's mystery as he reveals this mystery of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone for Jews and Gentiles. Now, it was radical thought that the salvation came by grace through faith in Christ, even to the Jews, but then to include the Gentiles in there, that's just a mind-blowing thing for, for them at this time. And so... Uh, I'm going to read the text, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along. I'm reading from the New American Standard, and I think the, the text is in front of you. Uh, yeah, okay. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if in, okay, Gentiles, that's anybody who's not a Jew. So unless you have a Jewish lineage, uh, this is you, which I'm assuming is almost all of us, okay? Or pretty much. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, 
And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He, that is God, carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose, ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory." Now, that passage, actually there's two really long sentences that are in this passage. But I broke it down this way. It's uh, somewhat similar to the, the main points that, uh, that MacArthur has in his commentary. But I, I modified it. So here we are. The First of all, the, the, the benefits. What comes to us as he reveals this mystery? The revelation, first of all, of God's mystery enlightens us in the following ways. You see, the mystery was, first of all, the reason for Paul's imprisonment. If you look at verse 1, it says, for this reason. And this reason points us back to the unifying truth that's been articulated in, in all of chapter 2, but particularly in verses 11 through 22. This unifying thing that God in Christ is reconciling both Jews and Gentiles into one body, into a, to become fellow citizens of God's kingdom, that we are a holy temple in the Lord. Um, so it's for this reason, now that the fact that we are this unified body, this holy temple, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk, I'm going to share some stuff. You know, we had an election, right, in the 2022 midterm election, and now based on that, everybody wants to say something about it. You know, for this reason, now everybody's an expert. Everybody's a pundit. Everybody's got a spin on it. Well, here Paul says, then he says, and he goes, from this reason, this unifying factor, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Now, think about that. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. We said earlier when we started this study that this is one of Paul's books that he wrote from prison. Where was he in prison? In Rome. But the man who sat in a Roman prison said that he was a prisoner of Christ. Not a prisoner of, of Rome. And so Paul is saying that his proclamation of the truth, for this reason, 
my proclamation of this truth that there is this unification of Jews and Gentiles into one family to become fellow citizens, to become those who are without Christ, separate from Christ, those who are um, uh, un, uh, not part of the commonwealth of Israel, those who were alienated from God, have now been joined in with God. Because he preached that, now he's in prison. But he's not in prison, he's not a prisoner of Rome, he's a prisoner of Christ. He considered himself someone, God's prisoner, Christ's prisoner. He was in his service. He was under his control, confident that his imprisonment was even that a result of what God had willed for him. That's a mind-blowing concept. And I wonder, you know, his circumstances didn't determine his perspective. His perspective controlled his response to his circumstances. His perspective, Christ prisoner, controlled his response to his circumstances. I think it was Daniel uh, Daniel Yuhur, I uh, didn't get his name correctly, but I think he said he was an Auschwitz uh, survivor and he said, in the prison camp, and he says, There's, any, any, everything can be taken from a man except one thing. Our perspective in any given set of circumstances. And Paul's perspective. Yehil Denur, that's the guy. I think, I think that's right. Um, but he, and he was at peace with that. Paul was like, I'm a prisoner of Christ and that's okay. Are you okay with being a prisoner of Christ? Am I okay with accepting the circumstances in which I'm in, the, the, the way in which God is working in my life is of God? I'm single, but I don't want to be. <laughs> I'm sick, but I don't want to be. You fill in the blank, but I don't want to be. <laughs> you want to be in prison? No, but he was, and he was okay with it. I remember when we were in uh, downtown Budapest, Hungary, and some friends had driven up from Romania to be with us, and we had two of our children who went out to their car to get in the car to go somewhere, I think, to go out to eat, and the keys were locked in the car. I mean, I mean, we're foreigners, all of us. They're from Romania, and we're from America, and we're in this foreign land, and the keys are locked in the car, and we don't know what we're going to do. And his wife, bless her heart, godly woman, she goes, it's a test. And it was. It was a test of our faith. Is God still God? Is God still in control? We were prisoners in Budapest. Couldn't get out because we couldn't get in the car. But God works in these ways. In James chapter 1, we're told that, you know, that, that, that trials produce endurance. And endurance, if we let it have its perfect work in us, produces completeness in Christ. Romans chapter 5, uh, Paul uh, says uh, a similar thing. I'm going to read it for you. In Romans 5, he says this. He says in verse 3, And not only this, but we also exult in tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. So this is Paul, he's in prison, and he's in prison because he's preaching the gospel, the gospel that includes the Gentiles, and he says, I'm in prison because of, for Christ, and that's okay. So first of all, 
the reason for his imprisonment. Secondly, he revealed, the, the, the mystery is revealed by God to, to Paul for us, for us Gentiles. In, in verse, verse 2, he says, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Paul felt it necessary to affirm that his divine authority, as he moves on here, and he talks about the stewardship of God's grace. That was the divine authority that his teaching of this revolutionary concept was something that was mind-blowing. So he says, you better understand where I'm coming from. I'm not just picking this out of the sky. This is something that God informed me of, that God is behind. He says, for the sake of you Gentiles, he's not serving himself. He's not serving himself, but serving the Gentiles to whom he had been called. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's on the way to Damascus. He has this vision, of, uh, he hears from God, he has this flash of light, and God takes him into Damascus with his friends, and he says, Ananias comes to him and says, you've been called to be a missionary to the Gentiles. That call was repeated in Acts chapter 22. And that they, that they might become members of God's house. Why was God Paul? He says, verse, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. I'm here for you. I'm here because of you. Because of my commitment to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we went over, and I'm going to, if you have your Bibles, you can go over to Colossians chapter 1. A very uh, close parallel passage with this is in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. But in verse 25, it says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God that, that um, uh, bestowed upon me for your benefit. For your benefit. He's talking about the Colossian church there, but here he's talking about the Ephesians church. It's for your benefit, not for my benefit. He didn't, he didn't do that. And then he, he goes on in verse 2, and I got a little ahead of myself. He says, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. This gets to his credibility in articulating this mysterious, mysterious message. Okay, if you've, if you've heard about them. Wild thing here, okay, look at me. Verse 1, for this reason. Now look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. For this reason. Verse 1, for this reason. Verse 14, for this reason. What happened was, Paul was uh, here and he was talking about, he, he interrupts his prayer. He's starting a prayer in verse 1. All right? For this reason, based upon his proclamation of this confusing message that came to them, and he interrupts his prayer, begun in, in verse 1, as this discussion of his suffering for the Gentiles, because he's bringing them this gospel, brings to mind, hey, I want to explain more fully what all that is, that mystery that I'm suffering for. I want to explain it is, so I take a break. And now I'm going to chalk in verses 2 through 13 about that mystery. And then I'm going to start my prayer up again in verse 14. So 2 through 13 is a parenthetical reflection. Because Paul's brain is just operating faster than, his, than he's able to get it written down. And he says, oh, I want to talk to you about the fact that I'm a prisoner because I shared with you the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that both Jew and Gentile can come into a relationship with God. But wait, wait a second, we, we need to talk about that more. I need to explain that more fully. 
He says, I have a stewardship. It's a stewardship. Uh, we came from Northwest Isle, a bunch of farmers up there. They have farm managers. You know, some people who have a bunch of land, but they're not farmers. They have a farm manager, and they hire somebody to manage their, their farming operation. You have maybe a financial manager, a financial planner, or something who manages your resources for your benefit. Well, Paul was there to manage God's grace. What is God's grace? It's His unmerited favor. And he says, this was given to me for you, for your benefit. Paul, he was a former blasphemer. He was a former persecutor of the church. He was the guy who on his way to Damascus, he was on his way to Damascus so he could persecute those who believed in Jesus. And this is the guy. He was put into God's service. I want you to look at Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Uh, Acts chapter 9 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. This is what Ananias was supposed to tell Saul. or God told Ananias, okay? He had been saved by God's grace. Then he'd been called into service as someone who was saved by God's grace. That's Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And then he had been given charge over this grace to communicate it to people. The the fact is that none of us deserves forgiveness. We deserve judgment. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And his death would be the payment for our sin that we deserve to suffer for. And we don't deserve that. That's the unmerited favor and the grace. And and Paul says, this is me. I'm the spiritual trust fund manager of God's grace. I'm distributing it. His grace, he owns it. I'm distributing it to those to whom I want to give. And it's a stewardship that he took very seriously. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I am under compulsion For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I have a stewardship entrusted to me. And you know what? If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have put your faith and your trust in His death on the cross as a payment for your sin and His resurrection as confidence and proof that you will be raised again to God with heaven and are justified before Him, you have a stewardship. Every ability, every talent, Every resource, your time, and the gospel have been entrusted to you. To use for His glory. To use for His purposes. We have a a stewardship. This is revealed by God to us for Paul. And finally, uh, the the third point here is that this mystery was related by Paul to us. Read verse 3. That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. The uniqueness and the the profound insight of of Paul's stewardship prompted him to verify that the mystery of Christ's death as the basis of salvation for both Jews and Gentiles 
to which he was to testify came through divine revelation. It was such a profound thing that he wanted them to know, I'm not just blowing smoke here. It's something God did. And we saw it in Acts chapter 9. God revealed it to him. When? On the road to Damascus. That was your calling. And then again in Acts chapter 22, uh, he was given this uh, insight. Now, what's a mystery? Define a mystery. A mystery is something that is concealed that's now revealed. Something concealed which is now revealed. It says here that by revelation there was made known to me, I I was made known, the mystery. What was previously concealed has now been revealed. And it's been revealed to Paul. Paul was commissioned by God to preach the gospel. And this gospel is in, you saw it in Colossians, you had it up on the screen. Christ in you, he says, the mystery Paul says in Colossians 1, 25 and 27. The hope of glory. This is it. I was made a minister of this church according to the commission from God granted to me for you, your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been revealed. So you get that? Hidden, concealed, now revealed to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what the wealth of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles is, and the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It blew the minds of their life. This is not salvation. The Messiah is supposed to ride in on a white horse and deliver us from the Roman emperor or Roman oppressors. No, he's coming to bring salvation. A Christ-centered gospel that provides salvation to all people as part of God's plan, eternal plan, Paul had briefly mentioned in verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2. He would briefly mentioned it at the end of chapter 1, talking about the church, his body, of which he is the head. And so Paul is giving us this enlightenment into, into what he's talking about. Second, secondly, the proclamation of God's mystery should encourage us. Why would the proclamation of the mystery encourage us? Well, Paul goes on. We're encouraged first of all by see in the text, the credibility of the witnesses, of the messengers. Verse 4. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Uh, referring to this. Don't you just love it? I mean, it's like every verse here is like, okay, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Okay. In referring to this, which I understand, first of all, to mean his, his brief mention of the mystery, but also his divine calling to, and stewardship of that ministry. The brief mention of salvation by grace through faith, and the divine stewardship of this message of salvation by grace through faith. That should inspire confidence. Like, okay, this guy's not blowing smoke. It's it's a divine revelation, and we heard him speak about it before. It should inform us so we can understand it. We better understand it because he's, he's teased us with a little bit of it prior to this. And then finally, it should incite us to proclaim it because we, we have confidence that it's true. I, I'm very thankful I live in Iowa because uh, after the election, we knew the results. 
Uh, and I think we have a fairly credible system whereby we can trust that the results are accurate. And because I know that the results are accurate, I, 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 or it's credible, I can trust it. I understand what the results are, and then I don't have any problem telling people what the results are. In this same way, I think Paul is articulating to us, look, what I'm about to say comes because of the credibility that I've been called into this stewardship by God. It's been revealed to me from God. You can trust what I'm about to say. Then you'll be able to fully, more fully understand what I'm about to say. And when you understand it and have trust in it, you'll be able to share it with other people. You won't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, when you walked in the sanctuary, there's a, a sign above the door. Most of you didn't read it. It's our mission statement. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, that was Paul's mission. And that's our mission. And it's our mission because it was Paul's mission. It was Paul's mission because God gave him the mission. And God gave him the mission because he revealed him to him the mission. And he revealed to him the mission. And we have trust in the fact that God revealed the mission to Paul. That was God's mission to Paul. Now it's God's mission to us. Verse 5. Which, the mystery of Christ, into verse 4, which in other generations, was not made known, ooh, here we go again, to the sons of men as it has now been revealed. It was concealed, now it's revealed. The mystery of Christ was unknown to previous generations. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 says this, verse 8. It says, Scripture saw beforehand that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. God saw beforehand. When? Uh, probably back in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, maybe even Genesis 3, uh, but Genesis chapter 12, where he gave the promise to Abraham, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then you go into, uh, like for example, Isaiah 49, 6, you'll be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Oh, Jews and Gentiles, both together. Hmm, how's that work? But here's the deal. And then it says, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. That's Galatians 3, 8. But see, we only understand that by looking back from the New Testament and seeing these Old Testament references, they come into full light. Now, they may have had some hint of it in the Old Testament, but they didn't understand it fully. It was not made known. The mystery has now been revealed after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was revealed to whom? The text says, I'm not saying, the Holy Apostles and prophets, the people of the first century, these people that we looked at in Galatians or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, who were the ones who built and upon whom the church of Christ is built? The first century apostles and prophets. It was revealed to them. They were set apart to do this. And God's Spirit revealed it to them. Some of you remember the story in Acts chapter 10. Peter goes up on the, on the roof before lunch and all of a sudden, he sees the vision. There's a sheet coming down, and there's a bunch of animals on the sheet. And uh, the Lord says to him, rise up, kill, and eat. Oh, Lord, no way. I've never eaten anything unclean in all my life because some of those animals were ceremonially unclean for the Jews to eat. And he says, do it. Three times it happened to him, and then he revealed to him, God revealed to Peter, what I'm telling you to do is uh, there's some dudes coming over from Cornelius' house. 
and Cornelius was a, a Gentile. And uh, they're going to ask you to come and, and, and share, now this is my paraphrase, I'm going to ask you to come and share the gospel with them. Go. Well, Lord, you know, it's, I mean, I'm a Jew. I can't go into their house and it, it's, it's be unclean. But do it anyway. God revealed. He, made, he had hidden it in the past. He made it revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. And Peter is one of the examples. And then we have uh, Paul, uh, or Peter and Paul in Acts chapter 15, verses 7 and 9, at the, at the Jerusalem council, and, and there had been much debate, and Peter stood up, here he is again, uh, stood and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth of the Gentiles, my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them. This is the gospel that was concealed that's now been revealed. And Paul specifically talks about that, that mystery in verse 6. I'm going to skip over it. Okay, I'm going to come back to it. Verse 6. I'm going down to verse 7. Because in verse 7, it says this. This, this message of the gospel of which I was made a minister. I'm talking about his credibility here. I'm talking about the basis upon which you should believe. I should believe that Paul is not just making this up. Paul says, I was made a minister, a servant, under the master's orders, according to God's grace in saving him and God's grace in setting him apart for ministry. And God's grace came to Paul in the same way it comes to us. It says this in in verse 7, according to the working of his power. Oh, that sounds like chapter 1, verse 19. That it's according to the working of God's power. God's power whereby we enter, He entered, and we enter into service through salvation. By grace, through faith, plus nothing. It's the same mighty power in which we serve. The same power that brings us to salvation, calls us into service, is the same power that empowers us as we serve Christ, as he served Christ. Paul identified his service. He was to preach to the Gentiles, which he did. And he did it with power. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, he says, And we proclaim him admonishing and instructing every man with all wisdom that we might present every man complete in Christ. For this reason also, I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within us. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's because the power of God brought the grace of God, convicted you of your sin, and moved you to repent and turn and trust in Christ. It's the power of Christ that saves us. It's the power of Christ that calls us into service. It's the power of Christ that enables us in our service. It is Christ, Christ, Christ who does it. And he considered himself. It says in the text in verse 8, And to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. You ever receive anything you didn't deserve? (laughs) 
I've not received some things I did deserve. Uh, when I came home after curfew one night, and my mom was waiting up for me, uh, she, didn't, she didn't tell my dad. That was great. Uh, you know, that was... That was and, and grace is just the opposite. It, it's, it's, it's getting what we don't deserve. And Paul says, I'm the very least of these apostles. It's an honest assessment of his understanding of, of God's righteousness and his own wretchedness. I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 13, 15, and 17. Even though I was previously a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. It is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And notice what he says next, among whom I am foremost. Anybody here perfect? If you say that, you're lying. And the, the more we understand the extent of our wretchedness, he says, that is me, I'm the foremost sinner. Jesus Christ, might, that he might demonstrate his perfect patience. Paul says, I'm the least of these apostles. I have the, the least claim to be an apostle of anyone. And I ask you this morning, do you have any claim that God should choose you to be one of his children? What, you're good looking? You have intelligence? You, you, you're you're uh, musically inclined? I mean, that's all good stuff, but where did it come from? Not you. From God. You see, there is no intelligence, there's no uh, academic understanding, there's no ability to memorize, there's no thing that we can do that would endear God to us because we are wretched sinners deserving condemnation. And he says, I am the least, and I have been called. Uh, anybody remember P.E. class? You know, you like, you like P.E. class? Well, yeah, if you're athletic, you like P.E. class. You know, we, we, have, we pick captains of the teams, and then everybody lines up, and the, the captains get, take turns picking teams. Say, so, yeah, well, you know, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a gearhead, or, you know, you're musical, or you're intellectual, uh, you're like, well, okay, I'm, I want to be last here. Or how many with the lowest IQ get picked first to be on the quiz bowl? Guess what? We're all the least athletic. We're all the lowest IQ. And he picks us to be on the team. That's what Paul's saying. He picked me. I, I'm on the team. I, I, get to, I get to be on the team. I'm the least of these, and I get to be on the team. Every believer is a servant of God because of mercy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, uh, he says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, now mercy is not getting what we deserve, do not lose heart. I'm on the team. Not because I'm good, because God's good. You're on the team, not because you're good, but because God's good. And we have this ministry as we receive mercy. And so then we, we see not only the credibility 
of, of, of Paul that brings the mysterious message, mysterious message, but we see the content of the message. Verse 6, he says, to be specific. Now, he's referring to the mystery that he's just talked about, okay? To be specific, the mystery of verse 4, the mystery of Christ, to be specific that the Gentiles are, and then he gives three characteristics of this message. What is it? The, first of all, the highlights, the mystery proclaimed is union in Christ. Those who were formerly far off, now we're heirs. Now, what do you have to do to be an heir? You have to be related, right? You have to be connected. So you are far off, now you are an heir. We're of God's household. That's chapter 2, verse 9. If you belong to Christ, Paul says in Galatians 3, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It's the blood of Christ that brings us all into this relationship with God that makes us his children and then heirs. And we're fellow heirs with the, with the Jewish people. This is Ephesians 1, verse 11, Ephesians 1, verse 14. We, we share in the inheritance Okay, which means we're family. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are family. And I said this last week, and I'm going to keep saying it again. In a family, it means that it doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter uh, how intelligent we are. It doesn't matter occupation, occupation, vocation, whatever it is. It, that doesn't matter. We're, we're, we're family. And a family sticks together, or they should. That's the idea. We, we partake in the glorious and limitless inheritance because of our family. I remember preaching through a series, of, uh, a series in a book of the Bible uh, several years ago. And after preaching one time, the person from the congregation who was attending the in the congregation came to me and they said, uh, Pastor, like, how, how long do you anticipate being in this book of the Bible, preaching through this book of the Bible? And I said, well, until we're done, you know. They never came back to church. They never came back. They, they said, oh, I'll come back when you're done with that, this book. And they never came back. You see, that's the sad reality in our, in our culture. Is, is that a family member? Well, I don't, I don't like what you're talking about. Well, okay, you, you don't have to like me. You don't have to like the way I present it. But if you don't like this book, then you got a bigger problem. And in the body of Christ, we come together and we stick together. There should be nothing that separates us. No ethnic, economic, background, educational, personal preference should bring division. You know, hey, I go to a restaurant, just was at one of us last week, ordered biscuits and gravy, and my biscuits were burnt. Somebody says, well, what was the restaurant? I said, I'm not telling you because I don't want, I'm going to go back and try it out. But guess what? If I don't like the biscuits because they're burnt, guess what I do? I can go to another restaurant. You don't like the biscuits that are burnt here? You're part of the family? You don't go to another restaurant. You talk to the cook. That's the body of Christ. You don't just pick up and leave. And I am very, very disillusioned with what's happened in this whole COVID pandemic thing. 
Because I've seen it in this church and other churches where people have just decided, well, you know, it's not, not so much for me. Now, that's all I know. I don't know the whole story, right? So people come and go and different reasons for that. You know, I know Alec and Andy didn't move to Harlan because the biscuits were burnt. Uh, you know, they, they, they just, well, he hasn't said that anyhow. He didn't say that, you know. I got to pick on him one last time. <laughs> and my last shot, yeah. But we, we need to stick together. And we're not only fellow heirs, the text goes on, we're fellow members. In verse 6, I'm not, I'm just, I'm reading fellow members, fellow members of the body. Now, when you think about a body, the body has many parts. And it seems to me that this metaphor stresses the individuality, but the interdependence of every part of the body. If you've got a toothache, let me tell you what, it's miserable for the whole body. If you have rotator cuff surgery, which I think Mark, <laughs> Mark uh, Grubb is having rotator cuff surgery. You know, you've got you to strap one arm like this, you know, and walk around. That's dehabilitating. You and I are members of the body interdependent but in individuals and just as the members of the body are necessary for the proper functioning of the whole so is each individual person in the church body necessary for the overall functioning of the body it's important every believer is vital functioning and vital and valuable yesterday uh, the gals put on a, a, a shower for Kate and to, to show Kate and Luke that they're valuable, important members of the body. And the people who did it used their individual abilities to bless another person selfishly, selflessly, to bless her so, so she could be encouraged, right? That's part of the body. And without that, you don't feel connected. You don't feel like you belong. You don't feel like that's me. Now, Friday night, came here. We had open mic night. And what a blessing to see people sharing their heart and people sharing their talents and musical abilities that would bless, encourage, enrich as fellow members of the body. So I ask you, where are you functioning as a part of the body? What's your function? Oh, I'm a chief critic. That's my spiritual gift. I've been, I'm, I'm a critic. No, that's not a spiritual gift. Where are we doing it? You say, oh, I don't know. Well, pray about it. Try something. Here's a challenge. Ask Rosie how to get involved in uh, ministry with children in this church. And I, I, I can say that. She, 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 you're okay with that, right, Rosie? And now that I ask you, ask permission. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Uh, that's, the, that's the plan. Uh, because she got involved in it. She tried it. So we ask ourselves, where are we part of the, this, this connectedness of the body? And then the second question that I would ask yourself is, what function am I, of the body am I commending and, and encouraging? You know, because we're part of the body. You know, I need to exercise. I need to take care of my body. So I need to take care of the parts of my body. So I need to appreciate and affirm. So all these guys that sit back in the, in the back there, you know, and do all this technical, technical stuff, when was the last time you said thank you to these guys? Thank you, guys. And everybody else who, who helps. No. It's just, well, when the, when the words aren't on the screen like we want them to, then it's like, well, what are those guys doing back there? Drinking coffee? You know? 
as Adam pulls the coffee down from his lips. We're part of the body of Christ and we should be encouraging and supporting each other in this body. And we have people serving and praying and giving and going and doing things that we just need to affirm them in it. That's part of what it means to be a family. That's part of what it means to be fellow members of the body. We serve in harmony. We appreciate each other regularly. And we stick together like glue. And we're fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel received brings the promises of salvation. What promises did God give us in salvation? The gospel. Jesus died on the cross as the payment for our sins. We trust in his death as the payment for our sins, turning from our sin and inviting him to be our Lord and Master. What, what, do we, what, what happens? What's the promises? The promise of salvation. That's what Jesus said in John 3.16. We get the promise of the Spirit. That's Ephesians 1, verse 13. The promised Holy Spirit. That, that's in the text. And the promised sanctification. That we're becoming more like Jesus. We heard about that in the first service. Right? We're becoming more like Jesus. This is what God calls us. Every believer becomes all that Christ is. And, begin, and enjoys all that Christ has. Ooh, that's a lot. And... The finally, he says, the mystery proclaimed, in verse 6, is the unfathomable riches of Christ. See, Paul says, I have this glorious privilege to proclaim to every believer the riches, the riches of our position as God's children, as adopted into the family of God. This the privileges that we have as God's people, no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens and heirs of the kingdom. I have this privilege to proclaim all the power of God that's working in and through us and the promised blessings. And through God, they're boundless. And then the mystery is the unveiling of the church. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. Now that's just a mouthful. You know, I just, I mean, sometimes you go with Paul and say, Paul, why don't you just, I don't know, can you, can you condense that? All he's saying is, I think, is I want you to know how God plans to unveil this mystery to the world. It's God's plan of salvation for the world. I'm working on my patio project. I got to figure out, and I'm out there and it's dark and I have to get my headlamp on to shed light on it. So what Paul's saying is, I'm telling you how God's working out his plan of salvation. Includes Jews and Gentiles. And it's been hidden, but now it's visible. It's visible in the church and through the church. Because as the church, now what do we proclaim? We don't just proclaim, well, you have to follow the law. No, we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you become one of His family, whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, or whatever. That's what we proclaim. To make what's hidden. The last benefit is that the mystery emboldens us. And the, the, the first is we see God's purpose for revealing the mystery, and that, that transcends us. Now, verse 10, uh, you know, I don't have time to explain it fully, but here's the deal. Paul says, In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, in the church of Jesus Christ, we are educating 
the angelic beings, about God's plan of salvation for mankind. It's a a mind-boggling thing. The church reveals God's wisdom in its inclusion of Gentiles and its proclamation of the gospel. Jews and Gentiles together were proclaiming the gospel. Verse 11, and this is all according to his eternal purpose. What's the eternal purpose of God? Through Christ Jesus our Lord. His eternal purpose works the ruination of evil. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. His eternal purpose works the salvation or the redemption of mankind through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this all works to the ultimate purpose, eternal purpose of God, the eternal purpose of God, the glorification of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then God's purpose for revealing the mystery touches us. Now you say, whoa, what what, what can I take away from this message? Look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's faith in Him. We have bold access to God through Christ. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You and I, if you know Jesus through the blood of Christ, you have bold access to the Father as His children to come to Him with your prayers. And bold access and confidence does not mean arrogance. It means you come unashamed. It means you come unafraid that God will reject you. You come with boldness and you say, God, help me. So, I don't know, what, what are you struggling with? What, what do you need? I need prayer for to forgive someone. I need prayer that God would help me be content in my circumstances. I need prayer to, 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 to love my spouse better. I need prayer, and you fill in the blank, and you go boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and, and find grace to help in the time of, le- uh, to, uh, time of need. And then we're, we have courageous, we gain a courageous attitude in the face of trial. Paul says, don't freak out about me. I'm suffering, but I'm suffering because I'm, 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 I'm sharing the gospel. And that's a, a suffering that's worthy of the pain. Because I think the Ephesians were like, ooh, dude, he's in prison. He's been there quite a while, and it's for us. I mean, he, if he hadn't been sharing with us the gospel, uh, he wouldn't be there. But he is. And, you know, in fact, I don't know if I want to go to prison. If I share the gospel, his tribulations resulted, it says, for your glory, something glorious, their salvation, and the salvation of others. You can read Philippians chapter 1, and Paul says, I don't care, I'm in prison, but other people come to know Jesus. That's good enough for me. He says, don't lose heart. So don't lose heart in your ministry, because God has bigger plans for you and me. Notice what Paul says in, in Romans. The suffering of this present time are not compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hetty Green was a miser. She was one of the first women to be a Wall Street guru. Okay, But she was a miser. She's, she died with supposedly like 100 to 200 million dollars to her name. But she lived her life with nothing. I mean, she just scrimped and saved and scrimped and saved. She didn't benefit from the riches that she possessed. 
My plea is, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you can tap into the riches, the unsurmountable, unfathomable riches of Christ through faith in Him. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then here's the deal. We're invited to enjoy those riches, our salvation. That we're sanctified, that we're servants of Christ. That we share Christ, we show Christ, and someday we'll see Christ. And what better way uh, to remind ourselves of the riches we have in Christ than to break the bread, take the bread and take the cup, and remember what he did for us so that we could be undeserving as we are, part of his family. And so our practice here is that uh, our praise team will come and they'll sing, they'll share a song, uh, and you just search your hearts. If you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, at some time, if you feel led, you can get up and come to one of the tables in the front or the back and take the bread and the cup. You can take it back to your seat or you can take it as you're up here. But we invite anyone who knows Jesus to take uh, the bread and the cup as their heart is as much as possible clean before the Lord. I ask our praise team to come and uh, lead us in a song, and then we'll, um, you just come and, and move as you are led. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you for the mystery of Christ and the blessing it is to me and to each one who trusts in you. And I pray that you would take these elements and help us to be remindful of all that you've done for us and through us and in us, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.